Cutting for Sign with Ron Cecil and Daniel Pinnerkline. The bad white man calling the devil. The Yavapai calling eyes like the sky. everybody, this is Ron Cecil and Daniel Penner-Klein. This is episode four of Cutting for Sign. Today we have a righteous dude named Rick Medeiros. Rick, introduce yourself. Hi everybody, my name is Rick Medeiros and I'm on the Ron Cecil podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you are. What a yeah, fascinating man. life. <laughs> so I'll tell everybody how I met Rick. And, and this is kind of a fun story because I have um, a love, a great and deep love for pocket knives. I got my first one when I was eight years old and I still have the scar to prove it. I got it. I knew that I was getting it and I, and I knew where it was under the Christmas tree. And it was the first present I opened up. And because I'd asked for it, I was really stoked to get a Swiss Army knife uh, with the Boy Scout symbol on it. Cool. And I opened it up, you know, opened up the box, opened up the knife, used the knife to open up a gift and promptly sent the blade directly <laughs> into my finger. And I still have this like intense scar uh, right on my finger. And That's I, pretty good. and you know, when you're a kid, you do something wrong, you knew you did it like you knew is your fault. And you're just like, oh, oh damn. Yeah. Like, I immediately just like closed up the wound and it's dripping all over Christmas morning. And I like went to the bathroom and I just like hung my head in shame under the faucet as I was <laughs> cleaning it out. And I don't remember anything about Christmas. So a couple of years ago, you know, I live in downtown Portland. A couple of years ago, I was shopping for a knife. I thought, let's treat myself. Let's get a nice knife this season. And I went to a few different stores and I went into a well-known outdoor store here in town. I'm like, hey, I'm looking for a knife kind of gave them a description for what I was looking for. And, um, and they're like, you know what? You look like a, um, a Burnside knife kind of guy. And I was That's like, an interesting one. I've never heard, I've never heard of Burnside knives. And she's like, yeah, yeah, these are, these are rad. Um, and I'm like, well, where can I get it? And she went, you know, she told me where to go. I went to this other store and they're like, yeah, man, we're sold out. Like we can't keep these things in stock. And, um, and I think I found you on Instagram or something and yeah, tried to buy one and you're like, Hey, it's not going to, you know, like we're sold out. Like we just keep selling these things out and, and, right. you know, fast forward, um, you know, a few years later, uh, we're here and we became friends. We became instant friends to real friends. Yeah, definitely. And, um, I remember when you had reached out, uh, we were talking about st- we were talking about pocket knives and, and I always like to kind of like pick and prod, like, why do you carry a pocket knife? Cause it's not like a wristwatch. It's not like a, um, a lapel pen or something that is not everybody wants to carry a pocket knife. So I was really intrigued when, when the conversation started and then you start digging in and it's like, Oh, this person's got some substance. Ooh, I actually really <laughs> want to like have a conversation with this person and dig deeper. Um, so yeah, yeah. Because your your like slogan for your company is like, your knife says a lot about you. Is isn't that right? 
That's right. Yeah. 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 The, uh, the slogan came from, um, my grandfather who really was, I mean, he was my chief advisor when I created this darn thing, but at the end of it, uh, when I look back at this, like he, he was the guy that really inspired me to want to create the brand. And he used to say, like, a man's word means something. A handshake means something. You can tell a lot about a person by their shoes. Mm. And so that was, you know, um, take take all of that and then my professional experience and and chop that up. And somewhere along the lines, it was like, hey, uh, hey, Grandpa, what do you think about the idea of your knife says a lot about you. And he was like, well, that's what I've been saying all along. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> it's like, obviously, <laughs> obviously, obviously. So, uh, so yeah, so it was really interesting. It was, um, I had the slogan and I had the idea before I had the company. So I actually like mocked up a prototype that I had, you know, it was a physical sample of a knife. Um, and I wrote, into the patent and trademark office and submitted the slogan before the company even was official. I had just sent in my paperwork, you know, the $90 or whatever it was to create an LLC. But I had already been sitting back for a couple of months, crossing my fingers that I was going to get this slogan because I knew that the slogan could be better than anything I could ever design for so many words and better than anything that the company could be. Cause it was something that was going to draw an emotional response. Mm. And that was accredited to my, my grandfather um, who basically said, you could tell a lot about a person by looking at their shoes, which then turned into the slogan for your knife says a lot about you. That's, that's really cool. Why, why knife though? Like what was the impetus for a knife to begin with? Like what, like, why do you like knives? So I grew up with pocket knives. My grandfather was a foreman of a cattle ranch. And there at one time, there was roughly 12 working men that were on the ranch. My grandmother cooked and there was families that were that lived on this ranch. And pocket knives, ropes, branding irons, rifles, horses, dogs, cattle, trucks, bales of hay. That was just part of life growing up. I didn't realize it until... Um, I don't know. I mean, somewhere between like five and 10 years old, when I would go, when I would stay with my parents and go to school in town, if you will, because that's where my, my, my mom and my, uh, adopted father lived. I call my stepdad. I just call my dad. But anyways, long story short, um, the, the transition between being babysat by my grandparents for all of my adolescence because my parents couldn't afford babysitting. I grew up with my grandparents and having pocket knives and being around all of this outdoor stuff was just second nature. So my cousins and my friends and things that I I knew about growing up, they were all rough kids and having a pocket knife was just a tool. And that was all that I thought of a pocket knife to ever be was a tool. It was never a status symbol. It was never a weapon. Um, and the idea of where pocket knives came about was strangely enough through Instagram, uh, on a hashtag, uh, I was working at Adidas originals at the time and I came across hashtags where people were taking pictures of their kicks. Now at the time when I was, 
at Adidas, Kanye West had just come to the brand and everybody was getting really, really into Instagram, social media at an accelerated level, at least in my opinion, an accelerated level. So people were taking more selfies, more pictures of their shoes. And I just saw a pattern of increase. While that was happening, I wanted to focus on analytics, meta tags, social hashtags, hashtags in general, just as a whole, because I wanted to see like, maybe there's something behind all of this. Maybe there's a pattern I can find. Maybe there's something that can help me in my day job. Um, And when I came across KOTD, that was the hashtag that changed it for me. That was like the light bulb popping off to me. So at the time, KOTD, it's kind of fallen off. It's lost its glimmer and popularity since then. But in 2015, 2000, end of 14, beginning of 2015, I noticed that this KOTD stood for kicks of the day. And I'm in Portland, Oregon. It's actually the knife hub of the world in so many regards. Yeah, you have major companies. Here, yeah. yeah, you have a lot of the big companies that have their offices here. But you also have the two bigs in footwear that are here. And then you have some other brands as well. Fantastic boot brands are here, footwear companies, uh, besides the big ones, you know? Yeah. And, um, and I, I don't know really like where hammer meets the nail on the spark of the light bulb going off, if you will, in so many words. Um, but KOTD screamed out to me, what if kicks of the day was knife of the day? And what if I took all of the things that I've learned in my professional career and put it into a pocket knife brand because the pocket knife brand is a mature audience. They've been around for many years. They've perfected their craft, but they are just serving and there's no like real lifeblood in it. And I would have an opportunity to take all of my wild ideas or focused, energetic, youthful ideas and focus it into a brand that can promote outdoors, health, wellness, et cetera, encourage people to get out, but also focus or put some spotlight and attention onto people that are not represented, whether that's women, people of color, people that have different views on life. I can have a vehicle that is a tool that can help somebody, whether it's in the field, camping, et cetera, or in my blue sky ideas of working in a kitchen someday, but your knife can say a lot about you with a tool and it can be curated by the individual and not dictated by the company. Mm-hmm. And so crazy idea. First, how do you make a pocket knife? How do you make a good pocket knife? All of the other things are marketing, right? Um, and so I spent a, a fair amount of time just like digging in, talking to my dad and saying like, Hey, teach me about metal. He was a, a welder for many years. Um, after, after his service, uh, in Vietnam, he became, um, a tradesman doing metal work and what have you. And, and so I got to pick his brain the first time I made a pocket knife, I made it in his shop with him. And, and it was, you know, just kind of a, Hey, I want to make a fixed blade. I don't know how to do leather work. How do we do leather work? And it's like, just learning as we go, it's like almost being a, um, a full adult trying to teach yourself a new language, right? It's not easy and it takes time. Um, and so I guess to get back to where did pocket knives come about? It was, there was an, a deep rooted need 
within myself to create something for other people. I think it's just part of who I am, whether it's pleasing people in art or making a tool that can serve somebody's life better. That was kind of the concept. And um, it really started with the hashtag. Mm, That's amazing. So it was like a little clue, something that was leading you kind of along the way. Yeah. How did you know you were on the right path when you were working with your dad? Like, did you have moments where you're like, this is, this is stupid or, <laughs> you know, like I'm way in over my head or, or were you, or, or were you, are you more carried by like every little win is like energetically taking you exponentially higher into more energy and more and more excitement to the next place? I wish that I had that, but I've been driven off of no, and you can't do that. And this is stupid. Mm. Those were the things that, that I think were the motivating factor that go way back even to childhood, like taking some of my first art classes and somebody saying like, you suck at art, you know, or like having teachers in school saying like, Hey, you're never going to make it as a professional, you know, like might want to figure out something. Hmm. Um, Working with my dad, he's very focused in his, in his ways of doing things. Um, And he's got a lot of experience in his line of work. I mean, Last month, he just finished two, you know, I think they're like 45 foot, 50 foot tall windmills that he did for neighbors that they're like, hey, we don't want to have like a running pump, but we want you to refinish a couple of windmills that we could put on our property and look beautiful so that when somebody drives up, they can see a nice little spinning windmill. And I mean, he's still active and doing stuff. And he was very gracious in the fact of guiding me and telling me like, you know, Hey, you might want to take this into consideration. Hmm. And at the same time was also hands off, like call me when you need help. He would encourage me, but never berated or made me feel inferior or anything like that. It was more or less like, well, what do you want to do? You know? And it's like, well, I don't really exactly know, but I know what the end result is that I really want to do. And it's not about monetary things. It's not about like having a giant ego. It's about making a place it sounds wild to put it this way, but it's like, I want to be the Americana pocket knife brand that will either sit at the table with the big guys and they, and they can say like, Hey, that's a one man army that did this entire thing. Can you believe that? And it's like, Hey, let's get behind this. And my dad was the same way. He can do an entire project all by himself. But what I've learned over this period of time, and then also talk with my dad, cause I talk to him all the time about this stuff now that my grandfather's not around to talk about it anymore, is that the idea is to create a tool company that people can rely on and have peace of mind. And if people feel that they have something that's cooler than somebody else, like the way that you see it in sneakers or fashion or things like that, those are pluses, but that's not the focus. The focus is I needed something And when I turned around, I reached for it and I got it and I got the job done and you keep it moving. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I don't know if that's really like the rhyme or reason or, or the position. I can only tell you about my experience and some of the thoughts, but getting back to your other point, I feel overwhelmed every single moment that I work on this. Mm -hmm. I had a Sergeant major in, um, in another country send me a photograph of a pocket knife that he had gotten from me. And he said, your knife has now seen war. He's like, I can honestly tell you that, that the knife that you created 
came in handy and I'm not going to say anymore. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay. Same time. I also had a buddy send me a photograph and he said, I got attacked and I used a knife to defend myself. I've also had a woman say like, you know, I was, I was uh, in a parking lot late at night one time and I felt a little, you know, like boogeymaned out a little scared or skittish or what have you. And, um, and I grabbed a hold of your pocket knife and I felt a sense of security and it's like, Whoa, those are heavy. So I feeling overwhelmed with some of those feelings. It's like, man, if I was making a camera, that would be different, you know? Um, so a lot of that stuff does weigh out and it does get kind of feeling heavy, but at the same time, it's like, you know, uh, getting a little video from a kid who's like, Hey, I have a brand new tool and it's a skate tool. And I was able to like put my skateboard together and the kids ripping. And it's like, you know, it's like, those are the moments where it's like, great, take away the self-defense part. Cause we know that you can use basically a ballpoint pen or, um, or uh, a medicine ball to defend yourself in a, in a scenario if you needed to. But there are moments where it's like, that was exactly why I created the company because I wanted somebody to be stoked so that they can carry on and do stuff in their life. That's rad, man. That's super rad. Yeah. Yeah. So, it's not, so it sounds like your backgrounds in design and, and uh, maybe like the pissed off punk rock artist being told you can't and you're like, well, I'm going to show you. Tell me, <laughs> which is great. Tell me uh, how that started. Like, what was that journey like yeah. for you? It's really hard. And it's a, it's a hard backpack to carry. I wish I could be the most level-headed, easygoing, you know, non-acidic person, I guess, when it comes to those things, right? But I've really had to scrap and fight for everything that I've I've worked for. I didn't get funding other than like my grandfather handed me a a thousand dollar check. And he said, I don't know what you're going to do with this company, but I, I believe in this. I want to be your first customer. And he's like, I'm not giving you money for your company, but I'll buy your first prototype. He bought my first prototype for a thousand bucks. (laughs) And, um, I was like, wow. All right. He's like, you could probably go into production with that. I was like, you're thousands of dollars short, but the gesture and the thought is amazing. Um, (laughs) Growing up with the idea of, you know, having, having very polarizing moments of encouragement, people would say, we love this. I've been collecting this. Hey dude, like you drew this doodle for me. And this was the darn thing that kept me sane when I was in jail. Like I've had some weird ones like, Hey, you drew me a tattoo and I I finally got it five years later. It's like, Whoa. So as far as design, I've always used illustration and design as my skateboard or my football or what have you. Art was my way to connect with people. And a lot of times I don't, I didn't know how to get from A to B, but I knew that things would organically happen on their own if I just put in the effort and had the right energy towards creating stuff. And it was just this a deep rooted necessity to create images, to impress people, I guess, if you will. Um, now there's so many things that you can go into that with where you can say like, you know, like, um, why do you feel like you have this need to serve other people? 
I, I can go back to my childhood, right? I mean, I can go back to church. I could go back to, um, the, the, the non-relationship that I have with my bio dad. I can tell you a whole myriad of things that other people will tell you about that go into a book as to like why A, B, and C equals Z or whatever. But at the end of the day, it's like, I like making stuff for people and I don't like anybody telling me that I can't make something. And in fact, it's like, if you don't want me to make something, you might tell me like to keep making something rather than telling me not to. (laughs) Um, Because at the end of the day, like we need things, we need backpacks. I designed a backpack. We need uh, pocket knives, design those too. You know, there's, there's just a part of me that when I start looking around, I feel like in so many regards, we are our own GI Joes and Barbies and characters, and we need all these things around it, but somebody has to create it. And I'm not really satisfied with the offerings that have been put in front of me. Mm-hmm. I do have my favorites. I mean, there are people that I looked up to very, very early on before I even started the company and became an ambassador for the American Knife and Tool Institute before I even took a dollar for the company. And till this day, I've reinvested all of it back into it. And it's been okay. But, you know, at the end of it, it's like even the big guys that, you know, have treasure troves full of products and currency and all of that stuff that I still live off of wow. I still live off of like, holy shit, that's badass. Those are the, probably the things where I went from, you can't tell me anything to hang on a second. I have something for you. I, I want to watch your reaction. So that's probably been my maturing part through this entire, you know, my professional career, as well as creating this pocket knife brand is that I really want to wow people. Mm, interesting. So in this process of wowing people, did you, did you ever like toil in like the doldrums of your profession? Like, did you ever get a normal job? Did you ever, were you ever like working at like Sears or like Foot Locker selling shoes or something like that? Or, or have you been kind of like making you scratch from drawing pictures and designing things and all that? I wish I could say that I had a patron or that I had the Medici family over the top of me taking care of me. (laughs) But I will tell you that I scrapped and I fight for everything that I've gotten. Um, I had my first job um, in like the summer of when I was like 12 years old, picking up trash on a garbage truck in Fallon, Nevada, working for a family's trash company who basically was my summer babysitter so that my parents can get rid of me for the summer kind of thing. And I'd stay with my aunt and, and, um, and she had a, uh, an embroidery company where she would embroider on the jackets and they would do screen printing and so forth. And part of me living there with them, you know, years after years was I had to do chores and I had to pick up trash. Um, by the time I hit high school, I had already contributed illustrations for the local newspaper as like a cartoon uh, character artist. Like, you know, have you seen the city councilman? He's missing and I'll draw him on a milk carton and they'll put it in the paper and I'll get a little money for it. Um, I had a job making sandwiches. I was a pizza delivery guy after college. Um, In high school, I had a job working at a hardware store. I quit, got a job at a gas station, was you know, putting oil in washing windows, 
hated that, got a job at a golf course, washing carts and making sandwiches for people. Um, I literally have tried to keep myself busy. I think by the time I ended high school, I had more, more experiences trying different things like working at a motocross shop that turned into a skateboard shop because I said, Hey, we have a skateboard park that's being built. We need to start offering this to people. And so learning how to like buy goods with an owner and sell things and, you know, things like that. So I see, I see a lot of solutions, but I see a lot of like areas of improvement too. And so along the way, I was like, well, my parents are not really well off at all. Like my dad was a welder and my mom worked for the city. So for me, it was, I need to make money if I want to do stuff. So I would make money, have a job. I would pay for my gas or pay for a car or pay for things so that I can make my own screen printed t-shirt that I could give out to my friends. And it's like, Hey, let's make more. And it was like, well, I don't have the money to do all of that stuff, but I can make a couple of them. And so there was this ongoing entrepreneurial spirit. And this also like, I have to work because poor people have to work and I'm a poor person. And I always had that mentality that like, I am rich mentally, but physically I am poor. I have strength, but I need to actually make monetary advancements so that I can fund these wild ideas. And if they don't go anywhere, at least I worked hard and was able to show something. That's cool. When did you realize like, oh shit, I'm in it. Like this is happening. I mean, I, I, you probably, I mean, what I'm seeing when I'm looking at you is I'm seeing what I assume is all your work. Yeah. And, and those are some pretty big, you know, big britches, some big icons back there. At what point were you like, like mom, dad, grandpa, like Rick, Ricky's done it. I've, I've done it. I've like gotten to the place I was always dreaming about getting. And I'm sure you're probably the type of guy who's going to say like, I've never felt that way. <laughs> and I, I knew it. I, I, I remember the moment. I remember the moment. And it's crazy because there wasn't, it wasn't like a big swing. It wasn't like a big check. It wasn't a house, a car, or like a model and all this other stuff. It wasn't like that, you know, uh, flashing bulbs of lights and a red carpet. It was literally... I was taking sociology classes at Cuesta and that was my backup because I didn't want to study architecture after I learned that only 3% of all architects actually get to put their name on a building, Mm. regardless if that's true or not. Somebody told me that a long time ago and that changed everything for me. And so I said, you know what, forget this. I need to have my name on something. I need to be a partner in something. I'm I feel like I am a strong enough creative that I need to sit at the table, even if I need to keep my mouth shut. Um, and so I left school, I went downtown and I was just walking around taking pictures. It was just a thing that I would do at the time. And I walked into a Jamba juice after I was, so one of my buddies, Daniel at the time, he had an avocado tree. He was learning how to play guitar we were in college and I said, dude, I'm going to go take a walk. I'm going to go take some photographs, what have you. I walked into a Jamba Juice and I saw a flyer and it said, artist assistant, 10 bucks an hour. And it had all the like little slits at the bottom and you could pull a tab and call it and maybe wait for a phone call back. I pulled the whole flyer off the wall and I saw that it was for the Catholic church downtown. downtown. And I called my buddy Daniel and I said, Daniel, I, I got to go do something really quick. I'll, I'll talk to you in a little bit. And he was like, yeah, no worries. I'm just hanging out. And so I walked up and I saw a couple of people that what I thought were either 
working at the church, part of the church, or praying. There was only those three options to me at the time. And I said, hey, I have a flyer here. Is there an artist that's walking around here that's getting set up for something? And they said, yeah, he's in the he's in the back around the like rotunda or the garden or what have you. And uh, I was like, okay. So I walk around and I go, excuse me, sir. I go, is this your flyer? And he goes, he's like, Oh yeah. I was like, I'm here for the job. He's like, well, I didn't expect that. And I go, what do you mean? He's like, well, I didn't expect somebody to take all my flyer down. He's like, you're hired. Hmm. And so I was like, okay. I was like, well, he's like, you can paint. And I go, I can paint. Do you want to see anything? He's like, no. He's like, how are you with color? And I go, I can listen. And he goes, you're hired. And I go, okay. So he's like, he's like, I need you to start tomorrow morning. And I go, well, I have school. And he was like, you can't go to school for this job. He's like, this is a project that's going to probably take me maybe, you know, five years, but this is a lifetime appointment for myself. And I said, oh, okay. Well, okay let me get back to you. So I called my family and I said, I'm dropping out of school. They're like, you're not dropping out of school. I was like, no, I'm dropping out of school. I just got 10 bucks an hour to paint with a guy in the Catholic church forever. And they're like, (laughs) what? I was like, they're like, wait, hold on. I was like, and so they're used to me having these ideas where it's like, Hey, I'm going to start a t-shirt company or Hey, I'm going to start a sticker campaign. And they're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Great. You know, go make some money and do it. And you know what I mean? Kind of idea or like, we love you. That's a fantastic idea. No, you're staying in school. And I said, no, I actually, I, I, I want to do this. And I was an okay student growing up. I think I had honor roll my first year of high school and my last year of high school. You know, it was just kind of like everything else was fun and simple and what have you. But I knew right then and there that when my parents kind of gave me the blessing that it's okay to take a break from school to focus on painting, that I was on the right track. Mm. And not long after I was already doing the job, my dad called me up and he said, Rick, you've been talking about art school forever. And we always said that it was too expensive and you couldn't go. Have you ever looked into graphic design? I, he's like, your mom and I, we'd be happy to help you out with like a parent plus loan, but you have to pay it back if you want to go to art school. I was like, uh, by the way, um, to the guy that had given me the job, I'm like, I'm sorry, I'm going to art school. He's like, wait, what? He's like, wait, you dropped out of school to work for me doing artwork, but now you (laughs) want to go back to art school. And it's like, yeah, he's like, best of luck to you. And it was, it was cool. It was, it was like, kind of like a, after 10 and a half months, it was great. I was getting fat. We were eating free food and cookies and painting all day. We weren't exercising. We were painting every single day. Um, and I just had said, you know, I, I want to try something. And I uh, ended up moving back home and going back to junior college again and taking some art courses and photography, theater, uh, working on the student newspaper for the college. And I met a really great professor by the name of Jane Edberg, who was almost like a second mom to me. She had encouraged me to focus on art. Her daughter was actually going to junior college at the time. So we became kind of like really good buddies. And her late son and I were the same age. So there was this like synergy of like 
I have a second mom that's an art teacher, a sister, and I'm kind of filling a void for somebody that has a lot of passion. And these, these, this family, this school, these experiences, these people are going to help push me into something that I don't, I can't define, but it's something that I'm really interested in. And I truly love deep down inside. And it was about making artwork and connecting with people and making stuff that can resonate like on an emotional level for people. And when I ended up going to art school, it was, Hey, did you know Nike's right here? Did you know Adidas is right here? Did you know that, you know, um, Danner boots is right here. And, and, you know, like there's all like all these giant companies. Did you know Wyden and Kennedy and Nemo and, and, you know, all these giant, giant companies and advertising firms were around and I hate to name drop, but I mean, those were the things that were super, super encouraging to me as a designer that it was like, I don't just have to like cross my fingers that I can make a painting and sell it. I can actually learn a trade that I can help propel products or help create materials that can amplify products and take them to a different level. And somewhere along the line, I just thought to myself, well, shoot, I can do this, you know? Um, So while I was uh, getting ready to leave uh, California to go back to school to, to Oregon, I did a little screen printing here and there and, and um, decided that I was going to go back to school. And it was before I even got my first like big professional job. It was, it was that moment that, that, that man, Eric Kreber, the mural painter and artist for the Catholic church, when he believed in me and gave me a shot without even looking at my portfolio, that was probably the moment for me where I was like, and that and my parents just kind of saying like, Hey, you know, you're going to fall flat on your face. We're going to back you up. If you soar to new levels, we're going to back you up. Like, you know, it was like, I think having worked as a pizza delivery guy, washing food carts, making sandwiches, uh, working at a hardware store, pumping gas. I mean, like anything that, that, that I had as an experience, my parents resonate, resonated with my parents that I wasn't going to just sit and watch TV all the time or that I was going to sit back and wait for somebody to give me something that push or shove. I was going to work my, my tail off to get to where I, I thought I needed to get going. Did you ever go back and check out that piece of art that he did the Catholic church? I did. I did. Um, I went down there once afterwards after it was all finished and I haven't followed up. It's been so long. I don't know if his like lifetime appointment was now he's going to another place in another part of the world and it's going to work on something. Um, prior to this, I believe that him and his wife were living, um, in another country, helping to build churches and stuff like that and trying to help encourage and share the word, I guess, if you will. I'm not sure about his entire journey. I did go down and I did check it out and it was, it was beautiful. It was, I mean, I only have the one photograph of, of when I started and then where I left off. But since then the whole thing has been decorated and it is just like a a total beautiful game changer. Does he know how big of a deal he was? in your life? He doesn't. He doesn't. (laughs) The hard part with him was, um, he was a union painter for, I think he had to have like, I don't know if he had to get this, the, 
the SAG card or the student or the, the studio artist or the video artist like union card. But he was a very interesting person. The fact that he had no social media, wasn't on Facebook, didn't have a LinkedIn. He had an email and a cell phone and he had like a cell phone that like didn't take, but you know, it was like a Nokia. You take phone calls on it. Right. And was a guy that I best remember that a lot of the stuff that he did was handwritten notes and emails and phone calls and wasn't really on that. So I had tried numerous times um, years afterwards or like even an update, Hey, I'm in school or, Hey, I'm about to graduate. And um, I never got a chance to tell that man how much of an impact he had on me uh, and how that, that, that little, that little like pebble turned into a snowball for me. Wow. That's fascinating. I, I, I often hear of people who are experiencing success in their life, having kind of had the rough parts of their characters, like sanded off in adolescence through difficult jobs. And, and you, you know, like you hear parents threaten their kids, like go get an education. So you don't need, so you don't end up, you know, picking up trash, being a garbage man as an adult. And it's kind of, it seems almost like maybe everyone should start as a garbage man. Like everyone should start like with the hardest jobs, the things that like, I don't want to say they're really good. I mean, they're completely necessary jobs. Like we absolutely need those things to happen. And doing those things, it sounds like it created a kind of grit in your life, a stick to that, and, and also a kind of, um, uh, novelty like because you tried this you tried that you went on to the next thing the next thing the next thing and it, it gave you a breadth of of knowledge and wisdom that only comes from doing a bunch of different things and a bunch of hard different things that sure. kind of gave you like yeah dude i can do this like what do you got like you got this thing i can do it sure i can do that i can listen and give you humility as well yeah it um I think it just, I think it just broadens the aperture for what hard work and determination have been, at least for me, right? Everybody has different, different experiences and, and some can callous people, some can soften them up. Um, I think, I mean, I know to a fault that my expectations of myself are sometimes weighed onto other people. And some people don't run the same speed or can carry the same weight. And there's been times where I've been inundated with like these feelings of like, I'm not good enough to hang out with some of my peers because they're heavy hitters too. Mm -hmm. Um, What I would say as far as being, I don't know, like having, having the experiences of doing some of those tough jobs Dude, at the end of the day, they're not packing a shovel and they're not carrying a spatula or a shit bucket. Let's be honest, like picking up trash, it stinks, but it's not hard. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, like if you had to say like, hey, man, a bull ripped through some barbed wire fence and we have to re-stretch 175 yards by the end of the night or what have you, or in the next couple days, that's hard work, but that's physical, right? And you know that you're going to rest. Or if you have a project that's in front of you, that it takes a lot of thought and it takes a lot of like analytics and digging, that's just time. And so I think that all of those experiences, whether it's a celebratory thing or a loss, that it's like, those are, those are the, the parts that make up 
I think all of us, I mean, I think, I don't think that there's a single individual on this planet that hasn't had a difficult moment that they had to either work through. I think the biggest spark and the difference, and I don't know where it comes from is, do you lay down and get kicked or do you get back up and take it in the teeth? What was, what was one or some of your most difficult moments or times? Uh, professionally or like in on this journey, like the, this part of your, everything we've been talking about. Whew. Patience. Patience is patience and communication. Um, I've, I've put myself in the position that I actually get more out of life and projects when I see other people's happiness from it. And I've helped people build things and have sat back and seen them like reap the rewards of it. Or I've seen people's egos change based off of something that's been created for them. It's almost kind of like, could you imagine like this as a, I, I can tell you 101 um, reasons or experiences that have been difficult. I can, and you know, it's interesting when people say like, you know, uh, the criticism always outweighs the praise. I may have 101 difficult things, but I have a thousand great ones. Hmm. So I would say that. Is that know, where your brain defaults? Like, do you, does your brain default to seeing the success over the difficult sec- sections? Yeah, because I look at, I look at a lot. I mean, even dude, I'm not impervious to having a moment where I'm like, dude, it's a day. I just need to take it to myself or I'm going to sleep in for an extra hour. I'm going to stay in the shower for an extra 20 minutes. I'm not going to do shit today. Mm -hmm. I think what I realized a long time ago is that people, uh, if you can, if you can reach into somebody's like heart and pluck a string that can resonate with their soul and make them feel good. And and it feels like a win-win then all that it is is just patience and time in between here and then. Hmm. Um, it sounds abstract, and I don't really have like a philosophy or a, or a, a, a top ten on this one, but I do have an optimistic view on life that is sometimes detrimental. Right? I always see like the good in something, or it's like this is just a difficult phase in something, and we'll get to where we need to get going eventually. Just hang tight. You always get what you want if you put your right thoughts and energy and feelings into it, and you make the right course of actions. And I, I don't know. I mean, how I've had that, people. Sorry. Go ahead. I was just curious how how would that be a de- in what way is that could that be detrimental? You said it could be detrimental or can be. So. Um, I haven't really talked about the uh, the departure from Adidas. And the reason being was after my non-compete, I had already had my knife company. And a couple of weeks later, Nike had already hired me to work in Nike ID as a contractor. So the skip and the hiccup. But during that time, it was probably one of the most difficult things that were detrimental. I had too much on my plate, but I couldn't take anything off my plate. At the time, I had just purchased a house. I had a baby on the way, was building a business, helping a couple other people with logos and stuff of that. But I also had a full-time job and we were making significant impacts on the market, making uh, t-shirts and shoes and stuff that was making quite a bit of money. And people around me were advancing in their careers, but I wasn't. I was um, starting to get a little agitated with it actually. And we 
were doing some significant things. And I wanted to be able to sit at the table and have a fair share of bread too. And I ended up getting put on a probation because it was, I had an attitude about it because I couldn't work in the manner of, of being the perfect politician and being the town mayor. I was very straightforward and strategic on like what my skills and abilities were and wanting to serve other people. Um, but I had, you know, a, uh, a manager that was ahead of me that had been complacent and had been there for so many years and had, this is my golden kid who can help me do my job really well. He's not going anywhere kind of thing. And it's like, actually take the leash off. Cause I'm getting really hungry. I'm not thirsty, but I'm getting hungry. Mm. And so that was detrimental to my professional career because I was trying to do something. And I had somebody that was higher up telling me, you know, where my place was and I didn't see it quite that way. Um, at the same time, um, detrimental in the fact that when I wasn't happy in life, I was too scared to make the changes that I thought I needed to make for my life at the time. And I used work as a scapegoat in a way to escape, to get away from it. So I would shut people out. And it wasn't because I was afraid to communicate. It was I see people around that are doing things at like a half click or half speed, or they're putting just the bare essentials into something and and they're spending more on, on the glitz and glamor and smoke and mirrors and the actual products. And this is bothering me or people are taking something that is like a fresh painting and it's not even gotten the clear code on it yet. And they want to put it out to the world and say, look what I have. You don't have this. And it's like, wait, the feelings that went into creating this were not about, you know, the end consumer bragging about something that they had. Um, and so I kind of felt like in a way that like my, my intent and my passion versus the impacts were getting convoluted quite a bit because I had all this ball of energy and all the skills. I felt like a handyman in, in my profession and my creativity, but, um, felt at the same time that like, you know, the, uh, the impact and the intent were not lining up. And so that was kind of detrimental for a couple of experiences in my life. How long ago was that? Um, I left Adidas in 2014. So right before um, I started the knife company. Yeah. I was wondering how those might be connected. Yeah. So the idea came when I was, I mean, I was doing art shows and I was hanging out with different buddies. I mean, you know, it's kind of like anybody's profession. You know, you can, you can check the profession relationship at the door or some of the relationships become friendships outside of the work environment. And, um, I I was doing stuff with friends and making artwork and helping different people out with their businesses and things like that within reason of what I could do. I wasn't trying to start a competing company by any chance. Um, and, um, it was right around the time that I had had my fill of where the environment that I was at, because the, the few people that were in charge at the time were not, you know, they were more worried about them than the, what I felt was the entire unit. And there were some stellar, stellar people that I worked around that were all feeling impacted by it. And it was at that moment that 
I realized that I needed to do something, but it, shit, I was too scared to just like bail. I mean, I had a, I had a baby on the way. I had just bought my first house and I had this like project coming up that I needed to have my day job to fill, fulfill my, my dream, if you will. And, um, so I would say like right around 2015 was when that happened. And then it was like meeting with Nike and it was like, Hey, I just dumped a, a boatload of money into this side project and and I have a trademark now and I need to make money but I also have this can I still do this and they were like yeah as long as this doesn't affect your day-to-day work you can do whatever you want like just don't make sneaker or don't make sneakers don't make apparel etc and it's like yeah of course and the crazy part for me with this one was I had five interviews with Nike in 2001 or 2003 or something like that, right around the time that I was in school. And Nike was like the epitome. Like it was like, I'm going to be the best graphic designer in the world. And I want to work in sports. I want to work for Nike. And I had too much experience in too many different places. And I wasn't a specialist. Adidas hired me on the idea that I was exactly that. And so I was working on footwear and apparel and accessories and graphics and so on and so forth. And then by the time that I had enough experience with Adidas after like four years, three, almost four years, about four years, um, that Nike thought it was interesting. And they said, Hey, we'll give you a shot. My contract kept coming up where it was like, Hey, your contract's ending. We're making this business critical. You're too good to let you go. We're going to re-sign this as business critical and keep you on. And a director named Jonathan Johnson Griffin, who is the guy that I give the most praise to as far as like my Nike universe world goes, because he took a chance on me, him and and a woman by the name of Dana Michaels, who was a recruiter that introduced me to him. Um, I got to work on some amazing projects underneath his direction and uh, introduced me to the to the guys over at Jordan who then gave me a contract and said, you know, Hey, we want you to come over and, and try something else. So in that time I had already become um, a senior graphic designer. I was a product designer. I had taken a job as a creative director for a short amount of time and it was traveling back and forth doing that. And that was not fun. And I ended up calling Jonathan back and I said, Hey, I'm not happy. I'm really excited about like the future and I'm really hungry and passionate about this stuff, but I need some help. And it wasn't until I started actually saying like, Hey guys, like I'm wearing armor, but underneath it, like I need help and I have all this ambition, but I just don't know what to do with it. Um, that some of those difficult moments turned into being the, the, the keys that opened doors that I had to walk through. And I, I don't really know where I would be today professionally if it wasn't for some of those people that really nudge me. And that even goes back to like art school, like, Hey, we have a brand new program. It's a beta version. Um, it's called Adobe Photoshop. And it's like, you want to try to learn how to do this? And it's like, I can be a beta designer for Adobe illustrator at a college. Yeah, I'll try it. You know what I mean? And so there's just been a lot of like, I mean, that's an abstract answer to a lot of it. Cause it's hard to really like put, I could put it in chronological order, but to tell you like where the difficult situations met the beautiful moments of enlightenment, I couldn't tell you like where that exactly happened. I could tell you just the people that helped get me there. Tell me about the thing that you just said when you described the armor on you, but underneath you were feeling beat up. What gave you, 
I think it's not common for a man to ask for help. I think it's not common for a guy to admit that he's like really struggling. What really? Gave you bravery. Yeah. I mean, what gave you that, um, you know, thoughtfulness to ask for help, especially a boss. I mean, I, I, I've been in enough corporate cultures where it's like people are the duck on top and the, you know, they're smooth on the top and they're just going, going, going underneath and then burnout, you know, yeah. and there's not a culture where they can ask for help. Is that something that was built in at Nike or built into the corporate cultures you're a part of, or is that something you came up on your own? Like, where did that come from? Um, I don't think I would give Nike credit on that one. (laughs) No, I I really wouldn't. Um, I go back to that phrase that my grandfather said about, you know, you can tell a lot about a person by looking at their shoes. Right. Um, The other thing is like, I like old writing. I like reading the old classics. I don't, I can't sit here and, and rehearse every single one of them, but I love so much of the old stuff because it just cuts out the bullshit. And what I realized was a quote that has sat with me forever and I can't get rid of it. And it doesn't always make sense. It sometimes turns into a weird food metaphor, but the, um, the idea of if you tell the truth, you don't have to remember anything. Hmm. I also realized that if you can show that you're a human being and that you are vulnerable enough to ask somebody for help, you are going to even the playing field automatically in somebody who thinks, what do they want from me? Mm. Right. Because a lot of times what I've noticed, at least in my life is I did this for you. You do this for me. And somebody would say like, Hey Rick, you're very tit for tat. It's like, no, dude, I literally helped you just build a house. I want you to help me carry this from A to B because I don't have four arms, right? And so what I realized along the line was that, or in my journey, I guess, is that if I can sit there and just be totally vulnerable and blunt and honest and come from a place that is not selfless, but more design. I don't know if, I don't think design's the right word, but if I can basically expose myself or say like, Hey, look, I have all this armor on, but underneath it, I get hungry. I get tired. I have needs. I have moments. I need some help getting from A to B. And I don't know the right questions or the right answers, but I know that there is something here. What are your thoughts? It engages dialogue and it creates this platform to create a conversation that could lead into something. Mm-hmm. um it's yeah, led into compassion you know it yeah opens, it opens the door for another part of that person to meet you you know yeah I, I i agree i think it's anyways sorry to cut you off no you're fine and and that's exactly the point because if if it's like um shoot it's like if we were gonna and again it gives into a, a food metaphor but if it's like <laughs> i want to hear this food metaphor you get well about. a lot of them turn into these things but it's like <laughs> seriously like you know if, if i sat there and i said hey you know we're gonna make a berry pie i can't tell you that the first thing that came to your mind would be blueberries versus raspberries and i'm over here with like blackberries or you know whatever the the berry of the month is or a cranberry right but we know that at the end of it it's like we are going to make a berry pie and then it opens up a dialogue it's like hey did you know that it's even more delicious when you add a little brown sugar and you make it a medley and it's like perfect right it's like and that's 
that's kind of how, like, you know, I had a guy call me last night and he was talking to me about like, Hey, this guy needs a logo. I'm like, dude, I'm not on an official non-compete right now, but I'm not supposed to be doing anything for anybody that can infringe on what Nike and I have mutually agreed on at this time. And he's like, cool. He's like, the one thing that I know about you is that if I ask you to help me with this one thing, that it's going to turn into a full on collection. I can say, Hey Rick, I need a logo. And you're going to come back with like, a campaign, a commercial, an entire tech pack, perhaps a catalog. And then you're going to send me like five or six photographers and say, you should hire my buddies. And I'm like, yeah, that's kind of my thing. He's like, I just need a logo. I said, you can wait till next year, (laughs) you know? And, And it is, and it's in those moments where now that guy has this idea and his client needs a logo. And now those clients and all these other people are like, I needed a logo. And this guy just opened up the idea that it's an entire art department. Right. And so that dialogue and that creativity and those things turn into something that is, um, you know, bigger than the quintessential, I need a berry pie. Mm -hmm. Um, I loved everything you've shared today. What are you, what's, what's on the horizon for you right now? Like what's coming around the corner? continuously being overwhelmed with projects in front of me that I can't touch. (laughs) Um, I uh, did some uh, video shooting and some B-roll stuff yesterday with a buddy of mine from college that actually met in art school. Uh, We've been pals for quite a long time. His name is Adam Mashad, and he uses this handle called New World Industries. And he does a lot of photography for real estate a lot of the most beautiful homes in the Pacific Northwest have been shot or videoed by him and they are spectacular. He reached out to me and he was like, Hey, what are you going to do for your next move for, for Burnside knives? And I go, well, I learned that I gave all of my retailers too much of a margin. And so now I need to really recoup some expenses so that I can launch my new product. And we were chopping it up and he's like, you know, he's like, it's 2020. What about a Kickstarter? And I was like, you know, I've been around for five years. Are people going to think I'm a failure if I started a Kickstarter? And he was like, really? He's like, some of these tools are some of the coolest tools that I've seen. He's like, and honestly, like, I know you gave me permission to like, to, to, uh, you know, speak freely, but he, like the joke that we had, it was, Hey, it's getting close to the holidays. It's hoeing season. He's like, dude, if you need to ask for something, he's like, it's easy at, at this point in life and to gain money from anywhere, but it's the idea, the passion and the concept that people are lacking. Right. And he's like, bro, you need to put on your mascot pants and you need to go out there and you need to just make your tools and we'll figure this out. And we're going to launch this. He's like, for crying out loud, you created a knife company off of a laptop and at your dad's metal shop. He's like, the only thing that's stopping you between you and the other guys is your infrastructure and your marketing budget. I'm going to help you do this. Mm. And I was like, great. What does that mean? He's like, we're going to shoot some video. We're going to launch a Kickstarter. We're going to do I have a couple of like little, you know, secret things that I'm going to do digitally that I think will be kind of interesting for the consumer. Um, And truth be told, the Kickstarter is what I'm kind of working on at the moment. Um, I recently got approached by a guy down in Hollywood that works for a large, uh, 
entertainment company. Um, and on the side, he's like, Hey, why haven't you ever made pop art before you make all this art for, for everybody else? Why haven't you taken a swing at being your own Andy Warhol, if you will? And so I just started to do some like illustrations and graphics and pull some stuff out of the garage that nobody's ever seen. And like, you know, find some old videos that I designed or worked on or helped write. And I just wanted to present it because I feel like in so many regards, the passion and the intent have been convoluted professionally at some parts of my career with the impact I was trying to get at, which is essentially trying to make the dopest shit in the world on a very limited thing so that people can say, I got this, you don't. I love that. I really do. I always think that limited things are amazing. Um, And so I'm going to launch a Kickstarter to release um, some very limited tools that I think will be, I think they'll be pretty good. I don't know. (laughs) I think they'll probably perform better than, before um i know i've got you know a hat and a mask from burnside knives and i did a little bit of traveling recently and people stopped and talked to me about those things all the time so you're probably going to get like some international orders <laughs> yeah it's, it's really interesting when uh when i launched burnside knives uh at that midnight of when my non-compete ended i had a lot of orders i've shipped to eight, eight different countries now that I was just like, Hey, this is great. And I had some really interesting responses from people. I mean, like, and when I say like shipped all over the world, I mean, England, Russia, uh, Australia, Japan are the ones that stand out the most to me. Cause I was like, I need to get like a little tiny map and put it up and put like a little pin next to every part of the order. A lot of them end up, you know, selling here in the Northwest or, uh, in Southern California and there's knife laws and restrictions. And, you know, it's not like a pocket watch people, you know, they, there's still this mindset that a pocket knife is a weapon and not an actual tool. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, what do I have going? I'll share something with you that I am not going to launch right now. Uh, I, I have the other one sitting over there, but the, uh, the very first knife that I created was a friction folder. A friction folder is a peasant's knife that has no lock. I re- I don't know if you can even see it here. Let me, let me try to grab a piece of white paper and hold it up. Um, I reinvented my very first pocket knife. So it's a little tiny thing. That's not a weapon. Like, look how small my, my little deal is. And, and, you know, for me, it was like wanting to create, wanted to refocus on what got people's attention. What did I do right? Where were my areas of improvement? Learning tools and engineering. I am not the best engineer. I'm not the best marketer. I'm not the best designer. I have an idea and it's like, I needed to figure it out. So I just basically started reaching back out to the original people that I spoke to when I had this wild idea and no, no, no gimmicks or bullshit about it. I bet on myself and I ended up reaching out to three different factories in three different parts of the world. And I bet on myself and I said, here are all my cats. They had already signed the NDAs. I want you to take my cats and my packaging and all of this stuff. And I want you guys to make this entire line And I want you, and I want to work with you so that we can get this going. And it was really expensive. And I got the first two factories back And this little knife looks very different from the same CAD from one to the other. 
So what I'm currently doing right now is I am basically picking the tool that I think best matches my CAD and our engineering and I'll develop it with those guys. I didn't want to put all my eggs into one basket. That's the secret. The secret was during the time of the, of the pandemic, I really sat down and started focusing on what I wanted to do and how I wanted the brand to look. And then it was, okay, product development, buying steel, shipping it from one country to another, getting all my paperwork, making sure that like I can afford the shipping costs after I'm doing the shipping from one place to another. It was almost like my master study. It's like, you know, how, how am I able to procure this amount of steel and get the most yield out of it? what is available in material so that I don't have to buy so much so that I can make my prototypes and have proof of concept. That's the hard stage that I'm in now in conjunction with shooting commercials and doing B rolls, knowing that other factories are working and sending stuff over to me right now that may or may not look better than what I actually have. But now that I have two out of the three factories that have submitted, I mean, we're talking like 30 plus tools here and you know, manufacturing that and sampling, they are, they are more expensive to make samples than anything. But it was just one of those moments where I said, if I don't do this, then I'm going to die with a ghost of a regret, right? I need to try this. And if I fail, I fail. I can always make more money. I can always become a garbage man. Um, but what I want to do is I want to see this proof of concept come to life. And there's a part of me that wants to say, I told you so, Mm. because I think that when you create a tool company, it can't be an overnight success. It has to be something that lasts for years and years and years. I mean, I have a couple of pocket knives that have been resharpened so much that I think that they should be disserviced. So there are things that I have that I'm working on right now. And honestly, it's a lot. It is so much, but now I have the time to do it, but I feel so exhausted after going through all that work you see behind me. This is just the background for when I talk to other people that are saying, Hey, what are you doing in 2021 when you're available? Right. Um, I had a picture of a knife in the background before and people were like, uh, are you, aren't you the sneaker guy? And it's like, yeah. So uh, to, to answer your, your, your question, simply I'm making sure that the factory samples that are coming in right now are going to be sufficient. I'm setting up times to R and D them working on videos, working with a web designer to make sure that like when we relaunch the website, that it is seamless and the user experience is exactly what we intend it to be, which is straightforward, no gimmicks, no BS, no smoke and mirrors. Um, and be able to celebrate people that are part of it, you know, give some shout outs and almost create like an ambassador's team, if you will. At the end of the day, I know that for me, it's like, there are fantastic engineers and designers that I couldn't hold a candle to, but that's not the point. The point was, is that I wanted to create a brand that can resonate with more than one demographic and one age group. And I didn't want it to come across as being inauthentic or that I had to try to reinvent myself. So from the get-go, it is really focusing in on that original intent and betting on the brand to do the heavy lifting because I think that my intentions when I created it 
were exactly right. And they weren't exactly right for the time. They were that timelessness because your knife is always going to say something about you. Your hammer, your screwdriver, your pocket knife, your T-square, your level, those are tools that never go away. But if somebody can create something that can spark, something that can dig deep into your heart and be like, yeah, this isn't just a hammer. This isn't just a knife. This isn't just a, um, a, a kitchen tool or a level or a T-square. This is something I'm like, this is my pocket knife. Right. And it's like, that's exactly it. It's like, I want to create something. And so I'm in the midst of that crazy ecosystem of making sure that everything follows through. It's really hard because I love the design process and the design process is over with in the tools, but the design process and curating the experience and curating the way that a user can find this information, look at the, look at the specs and choose whether or not, eh, I don't like this knife. It's too big. Or I don't like that one. It's too small. Or I like the black one versus the silver one that it's providing people with options. But at the end of the day, I'm trying to curate the salad bar. Here's a food metaphor so that when you get to the salad bar, you can make your own salad and you feel like you've got the best salad in the world. That's fantastic. Where can people find more information about this? They can go to burnsideknives.com. Everything on the web store is currently sold out. Um, I will not relaunch this brand until after the new administration takes over. Um, I am very, uh, I'm, a, I'm a hippie when it comes to this stuff. Um, so there's a, there's a part of me that, um, that says that there's a little bit too much going on in the world right now. And the last thing anybody needs is a really sharp edge. So... <laughs> I'm going to relaunch the brand after the new administration takes over this next year, uh, just for my own personal reasons. And because I have the ability to do that, you can go to Burnside Knives uh, Instagram or Twitter or the dot com. And everything is pretty much like simmering on the back burner at this moment because I have so much that I'm working on behind the scenes. Um, that and, and my, my personal feed, I kind of tease some stuff and then I pull it down um, on my Maderis, M-A-D-E-R-I-S feed on the Instagram. So I think at the end of it, um, what am I currently doing? Where can people find this? I'm just using my time to interact and meet with people. And, and I, I don't know if I'll launch the Kickstarter before Christmas or after Christmas. Um, this is kind of one of those things that uh, I'll let people know. And I'll do it very loudly with a giant megaphone. Dude, thank you for sharing your time today. I really appreciate it. And this is a great story, a really rad story from beginning to right now. I can't wait to see what happens with this. And I wish I had my knife next to me because I'm proud to carry it when I've got it. And uh, I'm almost always sporting the hat, dude. So thank you so much. Yeah. Uh, before we go, uh, thank you for both of your time and energy and, and tough questions too. Some of those are like, ooh. You, uh, you digging deep on that one. I will show you this though, just for the sake of, I won't show you the side by side cause I don't want to reveal the profile, but this was the Cabrillo one and this is the Cabrillo two. So we are talking a massive difference in size and scale. That's awesome. And we are fully upgrading everything. I say we, cause you know, this is bigger than me it is, <laughs> um, but yeah, there's a lot that's going to be happening. So thank you guys for your time and energy. And I really appreciate having a chance to connect and, and also I've, I've 
watched and listened to some of your guys' other interviews and you guys are crushing it. Thank you. I feel very, very grateful and blessed to be a part of being included in this. That's awesome. Thank you so much. Brad, Thank you, thanks, man. man. Appreciate you, Rick. All, All right, right, man. Peace. Thanks a lot. Have a good one. Talk to you soon. Have a good day. Okay, welcome back to Field Dressing, where we recap our latest interview with Rick Medeiros, the knife maker, worked at Nike on the Jordan team, worked at Adidas, has done a lot of stuff. And I think most interestingly, he was his time at um, in California working with the artist who restored churches, which I thought was completely fascinating. What a surprising answer to that question too, huh? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> what was the moment where you knew you made it? Well, it was right at the beginning, <laughs> you know, when I was nobody and I, you know, in his field, yeah. the field didn't even exist in his life. Yeah. What a great answer. I know. I know. I think that reminds me that the, often the journey that we think we want to be on the end of we've, we've actually being on the journey, the starting the journey is actually the, the end I don't know. Like I completely I, I, agree. I had the exact same feeling. Yeah. Like I have a winemaker friend who recently won a couple of pretty big time awards for, mm. for where he's at. Yeah. And, and in my head, I actually said this to him. I was like, it's not, it doesn't get any better than this. And then, and then the response to that is, well, but what if, yeah, well, you know, and it's like, but why would you want it to like, mm. this is it. You know what I mean? It's going to be another feeling of this later in different circumstances with different labels and different amounts to the money you're making and blah, blah, yeah. blah. But I think there's a trick to and to that. And I think his answer spoke to that, don't you think? I think so, too. I think so, too. And having spent time with Rick, he's he's the real deal. I mean, he's like... Oh, I can tell. It's obvious. We had a, an hour conversation about his granddad, the cowboy, and the impact that had on his life. And my little bit of interaction with the cowboy culture growing up in New Mexico. And that all pours into who this guy is and what he's doing and the impact that he's having in the design world and in his own, in his own life. And, and in the knife world, I mean, when he said that Portland is like the center of the knife world, like he's not kidding. Like we have Benchmade, we have Leatherman, we have um, James brand, we have him, we have uh, Gerber is a huge one. I mean, like, the, you know, Benchmade, Gerber, Leatherman, like those are the yeah. three hmm. most giant. And those are all a 10 minute drive from here. Less than that. Um, so it's interesting that even knowing that those were going on, him going, I'm going to enter into this world. Yeah. And I think that also speaks to the fact that when we see something with that's having a lot of success, oftentimes we'll go, well, I shouldn't do it because it already exists. Oh, saturated market, these guys, whatever. Blah, yeah, blah. yeah, absolutely. I mean, the reframe could be the exact opposite. And also, I think it also shows you that it's not a saturated market, that there's a demand for it, that these guys are like, they've, they, there is a demand and they're creating demand. And then he also knows with his experience at Adidas at the time, that when you can have maybe the same kind of thing, when you have a pair of shoes, you know, there's millions of shoes, but it's a pair of shoes that no one else has. Yeah. When you have this, um, that it's a reflection of who you are, your knife, your shoes say a lot about you. So maybe his small runs of these things, I have one, I wish I could find it right now. Like it's a good knife. Like I would put it up against any of the other brand name knives I have and I carry it around and I could like, 
pry things open, just, you know, freaking like torture it and never worry about it not working. Like it's going to do its job. And, and I've actually bent the name brand knives. I've broken the name brand knives. Like I've like snapped them in half and, you know, dented them and all that other stuff. And I, I'm like, damn, this guy's done it. Like yeah. this dude with his laptop and his dad's shop, you know, roughing this stuff out and then taking it to factory. And then what he's produced is fantastic. It, it deserves to be sold out. Well, I found it interesting that, uh, what led him to the success after success. Um, it, he, he seems to have been wired pretty early. And I wanted to ask him about that, you know, uh, like what, what created you? Sometimes you get, the, you get, I had great support from my family. Right. Sometimes you get, I had terrible support. You know, I yeah. had no support. So obviously there's a lot of different um, uh, equations to what creates, but he, he was seemed to start pretty early. He had like, um, he had uh, his intents were, they came from a good place, but he also had the skill level. Mm-hmm. And he also had that ability that I personally think to some extent we all have the potential of this to see, to see gaps in, in a product that already exists and have the wherewithal to say, I I can make that better. I know how I want it better. Mm -hmm. I recently, only recently started to see backpacks and things um, when I truly shop for what I want, very particular about what fits my needs. Mm -hmm. And so then uh, I can now see, Oh, well, I would actually like to design a back because I know what I want, Mm -hmm. but he had that super early and he turned it into a career and he followed it. And now he's, you become a, a wizard. He's like, it was like a wizard. <laughs> it's cool. I was, I was thinking about what his parents did for him when they saw his gumption and when they saw his ability to step outside of the norm. Yeah. And I thought about that as a parent, you know, as I parent my children thinking where, where do you want to go full all in? Because I think it's easy as a parent to go, my kid's the smartest, they're the greatest, they're the blah, blah, blah. Or we think like, man, my kid, or you just start blaming a child. Like my kid's so lazy. All they do is, you know, play video games. Thankfully I don't have to say that because I don't have a kid who does that, but I don't have a kid that does that because I don't, we do, we, I demand a lot for my children. And, and I do because I see their potential and I, and I loved what they did for him, which was like, no, don't drop out of school, but holy crap, like he's actually dedicated himself to an incredible yeah. journey here. So let's bet on him. Let's yeah. let's do this. Let's like go all in with him. The wise of the parents who flipped that into a win-win situation. That's so good. Yeah. That's so good. I can't wait to see what more this guy does. And it's I mean, he's prolific. I mean, he's a he's a true creator. You know when you're around him oh, when yeah, like you can tell. Yeah. The hose is like all the way open. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's awesome. I, I wanted wanted more of that of talking to him and getting to know what makes him tick and what created him. And you know, uh, it's like that book Outliers. You know, that book changed my the way I see people and potential. Mm. You know, did you end up reading? Have you read? That? I haven't. Yeah, no. Malcolm Gladwell Outliers. It's an awesome read, and it really changed how I saw people. You know, and um, it makes me curious about people. What what were the three or four things? you know, major. And then like, we get into the five or six or seven yeah. things that made you who you are, you know, and you can do that with anybody, but you know, he's to some extent, he's an outlier. He's an exceptional uh, creator. You know, I thought it was funny when he goes, uh, when he found out that only 3% of, of architects like get their name on a building. And I thought like, well, what percentage of designers work on the Air Jordan team and what percentage of designers like end up carrying you know like by creating a brand like burnside exactly that and i and i thought like 
I, I meant to ask him about it because I'm sure it's even smaller, but somehow it like that punk rockness in him came in where he's like, well, you know, if I'm not going to, if, if I can't play in your game, then I don't even want to, you know, but that punk rockness could have said, Oh, it's only 3% bullshit. I'm going to be in that, you know, yeah. I'm going to do that. I'm going to be that. And it didn't do that. Cause maybe that's not what you really wanted to do. I know. It's like right. a nuanced, a little flip yeah. there that uh, it kind of, it kind of uh, helped. I mean, that was one of those things that forced his hand and, and, I don't know what Rick Medeiros, the architect, would have been yeah. like in this alternate universe. Like, what what buildings would he be designing? But I don't I don't know if he would have had the same joy as Rick Medeiros, the pop artist, knife designer, shoe designer, graphic yeah. designer. Like, he's like I I I think he's on that path. Like when he mentioned the guy in Hollywood, he's like, "Well, we want to see Rick Medeiros, the Warhol, the Warhol side of Rick Medeiros. Like, that's coming. I've seen his work. I'm like, oh shit. Like that's." that's going to be happening. We'll yeah. see that somewhere and we'll be able to say, say like, Oh, we knew Rick when he was like, his plane was taking off. <laughs> oh yeah. yeah. Where can we get one of your knives? Well, you go to the website and you can't. <laughs> oh, okay. Cool, man. <laughs> I've got one. So <laughs> good. All right, guys, thanks for joining us and uh, stay tuned. Awesome. Thanks a lot.